Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all, who, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder if you've heard of revenge bedtime procrastination. Basic idea is that out of a kind of a sense of powerless, a lack of control over your life, you stay up late uh, to watch TV or scroll social media or whatever. You're not up late because you're finishing work or because of insomnia or some other medical condition. You're just trying to assert control over a life that feels out of control. Now, ironically, the person you're taking revenge against is yourself because you're shortening your own sleep. But revenge bedtime procrastination went from sort of an interesting sociological phenomenon, relatively rare, to a major social force during the last 18 months. As a lot of us lost a lot of agency, control over our work or our schooling or the stores we could shop at or the people we could see, the only place many of us had a lot of control was over our bedtimes. And so we you know, extended them. We, we, we experienced this. If you look at the usage of that phrase, revenge, bedtime, procrastination, in articles and news outlets, things like that, there's this major spike and it's kind of stayed high throughout a lot of the pandemic. So we're talking today about one of the things I think COVID has done to us spiritually, which is that profoundly affected the way we work and rest. And when I say work, I of course mean your job, if, you know, or, or the school you attend, like whatever you kind of do daytime, you know, weekdays. But work is also kind of a capital W sort of work. Uh, you can think of it this way. Work equals all the responsibilities assigned to you. So that may be your job but also the work of keeping a house, uh, making food, maintaining relationships, caring for children, you know, having a healthy life. Like work equals all responsibilities. And in a similar way, rest of course means like sleep or time, you know, not at your job, but, but it's, it's broader than that. It's capital R rest. It includes sleep. It includes time off. It includes vacation. It includes though the internal, you know, spiritual sense of being at, at rest, at peace. It's a broad word. So as we lost control over different parts of our lives during COVID, I think work and rest were profoundly affected. And it showed up in our bedtimes, but it showed up many other places as well. And I want to consider this morning the impact it's had on us spiritually. So I have three parts to today's, uh, today's message. First of all, I want to talk about the God who created work and rest. Second, those who labor. And third, rest for our souls. A bit of background on this topic. The Bible commends which means it encourages and it commands work and rest. In the very early pages of scripture, we see God working and resting. He creates for six days, he rests on the seventh. And then when the law is given to Israel, God himself is used as a template. We're told to work and be fruitful for six days and then to rest on the seventh. But it's not just that. If you look deeper into the law, if you look at the festivals and the feasts that are commanded, there are also special seasons of rest where you, take, where you were taking entire weeks off to celebrate. And every seventh year was a kind of special rest, a Sabbath year, where you limited your work so the land could recover. 
And then every 49th year, every seventh seven, was an entire year of rest and celebration, a kind of economic and social reset of society. It was called the year of Jubilee, if you've heard of that. But the Bible commands in many different places, in many different ways, work and rest. We're to be like God, who worked and rested. And remember, work in its broad sense, all responsibilities. Rest in its broad sense, not just time away from work. To be healthy, to live like a Christian, to live like part of the people of God, is to work and rest. But before we can kind of delve into how it's been affected during COVID, I want to take a look at the text we read together. Because again, there's some important background here. The passage we read from Matthew, it opens with Jesus praying. And even though our translation uses the word um, declare, or it, actually at that time Jesus said, um, it's clear from verses 25 and 26 that Jesus is not speaking with people, but he's speaking with God the Father. Now we didn't read all of Matthew 11 that led up to this moment, but what happens earlier in Matthew 11 is disciples from John the Baptist came to Jesus and they wanted to ask questions about his identity. And in response to their question of, like, who are you exactly, Jesus quotes the prophets, he gives a vague, you know, Jesus, he answer, and then, and they're like, kind of like, what? But then he kind of just goes, goes on and he begins denouncing these cities who had seen him do miracles and were resistant to his message. And he names names. He calls out Chorazin and Tyre and Sidon and Capernaum and Bethsaida, all these places that had seen Jesus do miracles and seen him heal, but they, but they hadn't believed in him. And Jesus says, you know, if I had done all these miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And basically he's saying, you Jewish towns, you have harder hearts, you're more stubbornly resistant to God than the most notorious pagans, you know, whatever, in the Old Testament. And that's what leads into verse 25, where Jesus sort of turns to God and says, as we listen into his prayer, that the truths of the kingdom of God have been hidden from the wise and understanding, the wise and learned, and revealed to little children. Now on one level, Jesus is talking about Capernaum. And, and Bethsaida, and these Israelite towns that had rejected him and his message, despite having every spiritual advantage. He's talking about them, and he's telling us that the, the, the truth of the gospel message was hidden from them, but he's also telling us a, a timeless thing about how the kingdom of God works. See, what does it mean that the truths of the kingdom of God are hidden from the wise and learned, yet revealed to children? Does that mean... You should be a fool. Like, better not be wise. Better not live wisely. Uh, no, no, no. Wisdom is, is commanded, given by God. It's greatly esteemed by the scriptures. Well, what does he mean? It sounds backwards to us. It, it means that gospel truths are generally hidden from those who consider themselves wise, but are freely available to those who consider themselves or who are humble. This is a pride versus humility sort of thing. And Jesus refers to the people who get him, who believe in him, as children, and as sheep, <laughs> things that aren't really things you want to be, or, you know, things we normally consider weak and foolish. But the way into the kingdom of God, Jesus is telling us, is through humility. It's the understanding, you aren't right, you aren't okay, you need help, you need a savior. That's the only way in. J.C. Ryle, um, an Anglican bishop from the 1800s, um, he said the beginning of the way to heaven is to feel as if you're on the way to hell. Being the way to heaven is to feel as if you're on the way to hell. And what he meant by that is when you've understood that you're sinful and you're like, man, I got a lot of things wrong, I need a savior, when you've understood all that, when you've kind of internalized it, well then you're not far from the kingdom of God. But oppositely, when you believe you don't need any help, you have all the answers, you're basically fine, well then you're actually at risk of missing out on the kingdom. The secrets of the kingdom of God are hidden from those who believe themselves to be wise, but reveal to children who know that they don't know. Now, 
What does that mean for work and for rest, for exhaustion, for resilience? It means, if you're a Christian, part of coming to Jesus like a child means you come to him acknowledging that he has perfect knowledge of the body and soul. He knows what you need. He knows how you are wired. He knows how we work best as humans. In the realm of work, we admit that we're children. And in the realm of rest, we admit that we're kind of ignorant, that we, we may not know what we need. Whereas Jesus always has perfect knowledge of your body and soul. Now, some of you will want to protest because I, I want to protest too. I know myself best. I know what I need. Well, you may know yourself better than any other human, but you don't know yourself better than God. Hey, who knows the clock better? The one who hangs it on the wall, looks at it every day, uses it to make it to school on time, or the one who built the clock, pieced it together? See, we would we believe, based on the scriptures, that God is not the observer of the clock. He's not staring at us, trying to figure us out, but he created us. And we learn here uh, from the lips of Jesus that God the Father has handed over all things to him, which include work and rest. So as we discuss work, as we discuss rest, we come to God with this posture of humility, not pride. We come assuming that we, we, we don't know everything, but we're open to learn. Now, important question here. Does this mean, or does this authority and knowledge of God mean that scientific research is unhelpful? Or that, that experts and people who try to figure out what makes for healthy working environments are misguided? No, of course not. But I do know that floating around some corners of Christianity is this idea that if the Bible doesn't speak to something directly, then we should be suspicious of it. For instance, the word burnout is never used in the Bible. Does that mean it's, a, it's an anti-biblical or non-biblical idea that we should resist it? I don't think so at all. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible either, but we believed in that. We made that the center of our faith for thousands of years. See, whatever we discover, if it's true, we're simply thinking God's thoughts after him. We're discovering the patterns he has laid down for the universe. See, God already knows about burnout. He knows what happens to a body and mind when it's under profound and unrelenting stress. You know, when the Reformation had the, the rallying cry of sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, they did not mean that there was no use for other kinds of knowledge. Sola scriptura did not reject church history or secular research, anything else. What it does, it just says, scripture is the most important. Scripture is in authority over these things. But we don't believe in solo scriptura. We believe in sola scriptura. So the first point is this. Any Christian discussion of work and rest must begin by acknowledging God owns them. He, he created them. He, he made them up. So if you want to work well, if you want to rest well, you need, to work, you need to look to him. And if you are burned out, if you are overworked, if you are underworked, you need to look to him. He's the God of work and rest. All right, part two. Those who labor. And we'll begin to get closer to what's been happening to many of us, I think, during COVID. Jesus looks up from his prayer and begins to speak. Now, we're not sure of the audience. We don't know who is listening. But we do know that Jesus calls them. Look at the start of verse 28. He says, come, come. And notice there are no preconditions to coming to Jesus. There's nothing you have to do first. You know, sometimes I wonder if the way we dress for church sometimes confuses this issue. See, on one hand, wearing nicer clothes to church shows an honor and respect for sort of the place and the one you go to meet, namely God. That's a good thing, you know, in favor. But on the other hand, it may, think, it may make us think that we need to dress up to meet with God, and we don't. You don't have to put on your best self to come to Jesus. You don't need to hide away the darker parts of your life. There's no pretense needed here. Jesus just says, come. 
But in that statement, there is a willingness to move. Jesus doesn't tell us that he is coming to us. Rather, Jesus beckons you to come to him, which means you leave the place you're currently at. He, he waves you over. You know, come on over here. And again, this theme of pride and humility pop up. To come to Jesus is to walk away from your old life. Now, who does he invite? He invites all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are weary and burdened, depending on which translation you're reading from. But first notice that word all. There is no limit to the invitation of Jesus, no max capacity. The seats here are endless. If you will leave your old way of doing things, you're welcome. Now he invites all who labor, all who are weary. The word being used here is a word for lengthy toil. Maybe think of someone who runs one of those lawn care or landscaping businesses in the summer. If you've worked at that, you know the days are exhaustingly long. Where you start when the sun starts, you end late in the evening, and you go home and just drink like you know, five gallons of water and then like, like, collapse into bed, and then like, do it all again the next day. Those who are weary, those who labor, are those who are putting in long, unrelenting work. The burdened suggests something different. The word pictures a beast. A, a donkey, a, a horse struggling under a huge load. They have almost too much to carry, too much to pull. And the, the issue here is, um, is, is not the length of effort, but the amount of effort. The burdened are those who are excessively weighed down. And I think in these two words, weary and burdened, I think it describes a lot of us right now. Has anyone been through a long, hard season of toil? Anyone uh, struggling under a heavy load? Maybe from your regular job. You know, some professions have been extremely overworked during COVID. Healthcare workers probably the foremost among them, putting in long hours, putting in extra shifts and, and more stressful shifts. Frontline workers, though, in various kinds of retail have worked a huge amount. There are others as well. We won't go through them all. But some of you, I think, have, have been crushed or you've been weighed down by the amount of work, the length of work you've had to do. Or perhaps your job was shut down for a time and to sort of get back to even, to pay back your debts or whatever, you've had to work incredibly hard over a shorter period of time. And for some of us, our jobs, our vocational work is what's made us struggle and stagger. But others of us, we struggle under the weight of home responsibilities. Homeschooling, working from home, nonstop childcare, the inability to get a babysitter or have family visit and help. For many parents, the weight of the pandemic has been crushing. The toil, long, extremely hard. But that's not all. Others of us struggle under a load of anxiety. Maybe you feel loaded down with worries about health, about your job, about money, about the future. Maybe you feel the tightness in your chest. It's hard to breathe. Everything feels so uncertain. I think some of us labor pulling a cart full of sorrow because the pandemic has just taken so much for us so many things canceled, so many joys pushed off. And in the place of joys, uh, we've had arguments <laughs> with family and friends and relationships have been lost or wounded and there's been things said to us and things we've said to others and maybe you can hardly get out of bed. And you're wondering, is there anything really to look forward to? Maybe you just feel dragged down by the sorrow of it all. I think some of us pull a cart full of sorrow. I think some of us have a lot of anger. Maybe you don't remember where or how it started, but it just feels like you've been mad for a long time. And you're at the point now where you're just deeply furious with the world. The ways that others are behaving, the ways maybe you've been treated, maybe the ways you've treated others, but it gnaws at you and you have acid reflux and an explosive temper and everything is just profoundly annoying. 
But maybe you're just tired. Maybe the sleep is never enough, and it feels like you're just dragging yourself through days, and your energy is low, and your willpower is low, and you're languishing, and you're not sure how many more days you can do this. And spiritually, is anyone laboring in their spiritual life? Anyone at a standstill or going backwards, and prayer is dull, and the Bible is dry if you've even gotten to it at all? Or finally, maybe some of us are emotionally empty just because of a lack of healthy interaction with others. Your sports leagues were canceled, your social events were canceled, everything was canceled. And I know for many single people especially, it, was a long, it, it has been, it still maybe continues to be a long season of loneliness and boredom. A single friend told me, he doesn't go to this church, so you don't need to try to figure out who it is. He told me that he went for over 40 days at the beginning of the pandemic without touching another human being. What does that do to a person? See, see, lots of us, maybe we've, we're in the pan, we're, at this point of the pandemic, we aren't sure who our friends are, if we have any friends left. Listen to me. Does anyone labor? Anyone struggling under a burden? Anyone exhausted? Anyone worn out? Sociologically, I know that lots of you are. <laughs> we, we can do the research and we can, we can figure out the numbers. Not many of us are thriving. The good news, and it's my job to remind you of the good news, if you labor, if you are weary and burdened, you're exactly who Jesus is interested in. You're exactly who he's interested in. He beckons you to come. Like, I think some of us, we grew up in families or churches or whatever that discourage negative emotions. Maybe you were told Christians should be joyful, which means you always needed to be happy. Maybe you were told Christians should be peaceful, which means you can never admit to any anxiety or worry. Maybe you were told Christians need to be loving, which means you can't talk about hurt feelings or strained relationships. Well, according to Jesus, the way to him is in and through difficult life circumstances. He does not welcome all those who are doing fine. He, he welcomes the weary and those who are burdened. And I should note at this point, maybe this sounds like an invitation to Christians only. The, the invitation is much wider than that. Jesus is speaking to mixed crowds all the time. It includes hyper-religious people, too religious, hypocritical religious, but also to his disciples. He's speaking to notorious sinners, the unconvinced, all sorts of people. We have every reason to assume this invitation is uh, being offered as far as it can be heard. So if you are investigating Jesus, if you are unsure about where you stand with him, the invitation is for you. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're welcome. Now part three, rest for the soul. What does Jesus offer? This one who we said he knows us best, he knows our souls, he knows our bodies, he's welcomed the weakened and beaten down to come to him. Very, uh, very simply, the end of verse 28, he offers rest. And in verse 29, specifically, rest for the soul. In the face of hurry and vexation and disappointment and various other burdens, Jesus offers rest. And we might take this offer of rest in a number of different ways. And the first and most important one is a spiritual one. Jesus offers rest in our spiritual wanderings, a place to lay our heads, a place to be at home, a place for all the angst. If you felt like a pilgrim on a spiritual journey, Jesus offers a place where the road ends. The letter to the, the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, has an extended explanation of the kind of spiritual rest that Jesus offers. And it's very interesting, but it's kind of convoluted. I'll try to summarize. He basically says, over two chapters, the promised land of Israel, that was a kind of rest for the people of God. It was a place to call their own, a place they felt comfortable, a place they could put down roots, a place they could meet with God. But then the author of Hebrews says, oh, but the land was never enough. 
And the Sabbath day, the, the, the writer says, the Sabbath day is a kind of rest. They ceased from striving and from work. It was, it was days of good food and fellowship and meeting with God. But the Sabbath was never enough either. And the author tells us there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Which means there will be a fulfillment and a completion of both the land and the Sabbath day. Life with Jesus in the future will feel like the best Sunday you've ever had in the place that's always felt most like home. In fact, it'll be greater and higher than that. Jesus offers those who come to him spiritual rest, that he will be their home, he will satisfy their longings. But he also offers rest for the uh, rest in this life. Because the rest of the scriptures actually give us a perspective and a way to understand our working and our resting. Jesus leads us into a restful and unhurried life because of how work and rest are to be re-understood. For instance, some of us, we overwork. And not because we're forced to, but because we love money or we love success. Well, the gospel, when we understand it, it puts money and success back into their rightful place because it cuts off the love of these things at the root. It tells work, you can't be God, you'll never satisfy, and you're not going to find a job or a career that will give you everything you want. But neither can rest be your God. A vacation is not ever going to satisfy you the way you think it should. Leisure is not going to meet the void in your soul. The scriptures say everywhere, work and rest, they're good things, but they cannot be ultimate things. They will snap under the pressure. So Jesus offers us emotional and physical rest, and he offers us relational rest because he's always at work by his spirit to make us more like himself, to wean us away from these other gods. Now, how exactly does he do that? You're like, okay, I'm weary, check. <laughs> I'm heavy laden, I want rest, you know, check, check, check. How do we get it? Is it transfused into us while we sleep or something? Is it like being hit by a lightning bolt? Look at verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Okay, let me, let me ask you a question. Let's say you worked in HR. Some of you, you don't have to pretend because you do work in HR. But an, an employee comes to you, and, and they're really tired. And they've been carrying extra responsibility. They put in extremely long hours. They're very stressed. What would you recommend? You're like, well, maybe you need some extra time off, a, a leave of some kind, some counseling. What does Jesus offer to those who labor and are heavy laden? He offers them a yoke. <laughs> now, what's a yoke? It's that wooden bar you put across the shoulders of animals so they can plow or, or pull a load or whatever. What Jesus is saying, or what I'm saying is, Jesus, what Jesus offers to cure our souls is not intuitive. We think we need a vacation, and Jesus says, no, what you actually need is a whole different way to live. Which isn't to say that vacations aren't helpful. They are. <laughs> We've talked about it. Festivals, feasts, celebrations, Sabbath years, these are all part of God's law. But vacations don't solve your, your, your permanent problem. They'll help you in the short term, but they don't really lead you into a different way of being because the yoke of Jesus is not freedom. It's not absence of restraints. It's not a freedom from all controls. Rather, as Eugene Peterson writes, the yoke of Jesus is the unforced rhythms of grace. It's apprenticeship to Jesus. It's learning to be like him. He says, learn to be like me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, which is to say he's humble. Remember, he doesn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, makes himself nothing, humbles himself to death on a cross. Perhaps one of the reasons many of us are so worn out is because the pandemic has shown us that we were putting too much hope, too much stock, too much of ourselves into work and rest. 
And I'm not trying to downplay at all the real pressure and real strain and real load the pandemic has caused. That, that's, that's real, real. That's very real. And, and it's suffering. It's probably not sin in, in most cases. But I don't think a return to normal is going to help you in the way that you suppose. Perhaps COVID has shown you you just hoped too much in vacation. You didn't know how to get work in its proper place. Some things were too important to you. What I'm telling you is COVID is a chance to reevaluate where you stand with work and rest. And I think for me, it's happened in my life, but maybe for you as well, you've, you've seen that your relationship with these things is not good. I have a few friends, including a couple of you, who live in the country. And if you're, you probably know this, but many homes in the country get their water from wells. Now, as I understand them, and I'll confess to some of my own ignorance on this, but there are two kinds of wells you can dig. You can dig a relatively shallow well in, in Ottawa area, maybe 50, 60 feet, which will get you down to the top of the aquifer. And those wells are not terribly expensive, but the problem with relatively shallow wells is that they can run dry in the summer. If you don't get a lot of rain, you get a couple of dry weeks or whatever, the water level in the ground drops and your well uh, dries up. You hit the season of difficulty, you find yourself needy. Now, the longer term but much more expensive solution is to drill a deep well to get past sort of the, the top layer of the aquifer down deeper where drought does not affect the level of water or doesn't kind of get down low enough. The pandemic, for many of us, has left us feeling dry and needy. And maybe we've, we've discovered we were kind of like shallow wells, and it worked for a time, but we've hit a season of intense drought, and we were challenged, and things have run dry. And what's the solution? The only solution is to go deeper. When the well is dry, you, you must go deeper. And I mean it spiritually, deeper into engagement with the yoke of Jesus, a relearning of what it means to walk with him, a fresh assessment of, of your relationship with work and rest, and perhaps a reminder that the only place you're going to find rest for your souls is with him. I've regularly told you that when I pray, I'm, I'm learning to. I'm trying not just to pray for what people ask me to pray for, but also for what God may be doing in the middle of something. So if, so if you ever ask me, okay, could you pray that I find a job? Of course, I'll pray for that. <laughs> but I also pray that this difficulty, this trial, you know, small t trial, will push you to trust God more. That it will help you grow in your faith. And I think my prayer for our church in this season, when many of us feel dry and worn out and burdened in various ways, and we have you know, X number of months to go yet, of course I pray that the season will pass quickly. Of course I pray that regular life will resume and, and we'll, be, we'll be healthier and safer as a society. But I also pray, and I would invite you to pray the same, that this season would push us to cling to Jesus more tightly. That we become more thankful and more grateful for his faithful love. And that we come to him again for the first time. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are the God of work and rest. You created them. You own them. You made them. You know, you know how we work best. And we come to you a needy people this morning. Many of us have, have felt it. And we continue to feel the strain and the stress of this season of life. Would you help? Would you work? Would you help us to come back to you, to return to you, weary, burdened, heavy laden, and we ask humbly that you'd give rest for our souls. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.